The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Matt Reek. Matt is the CHRO at InZone Insurance, insurance brokerage and insurance agency based in California. And Matt joins us on the line from Anaheim today. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm really happy to be here and excited to talk to you about people and culture in the workplace today. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on those subjects. Before we get into that, though, Matt, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, What's your coffee of choice over there in California? If I'm being good, I'll get a skinny vanilla latte from Starbucks. And if I'm not being good and on my diet that day, then I will have it with cream and whole milk and everything else bad that you can imagine. It's basically a dessert in a cup. I thought everybody in California was healthy, Matt. It's true for the people probably that are born here, but I wasn't. So I'm going to give that as my excuse. Matt, if you wouldn't mind setting the scene for our listeners, I'd be really interested to learn more about your background. I know we've discussed some very interesting work that you've had previously to joining InZone. So before we get on to InZone, do you mind sharing a little bit more about your background and what's brought you into this role? Well, I'm a transplant originally from the big city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is the biggest city in the state, about 150,000 people. And so I've been in California for about half my life. So that's my excuse for not being in skinny California shape like everybody else. I've been out here and I really fell backwards several times in my career into insurance, Nick. Just some really dumb luck where I've been really fortunate to get some great jobs. Half of them I probably didn't deserve, but I, I got them. I did the best I could and I've worked in the industry for a long time. So I started in the insurance industry, and it's a little story about dumb luck, by actually going to the wrong place to interview for my first job in insurance. So in Sioux Falls in South Dakota, they had a a new company come to town called CCC Information Services, and they did unbundled stuff, all the not fun stuff for insurance companies, like total loss evaluations, when somebody crashes their car, has to be given a value and negotiated with the client, subro, salvage, all the the stuff that insurance agents don't want to do on a regular basis. So I went and um, I saw an ad in the paper. This is before cell phones and all that kind of good stuff. And I saw CCC was hiring. And so I called and I got an interview and I drove over there. But where I went was the wrong place. I went to the wrong CCC in town. Um, I'd asked my mom, you know, I was young at the time to look it up. It was 19. And, uh, and she looked it up and gave me the address. Well, that wasn't the one from the paper. So I went in and they didn't have my name available. And I told them I was there to interview for a job. And they were in a hiring frenzy because they had just come to town. So I got interviewed and I ended up in the insurance department that settles total losses all day on the phone with people. So I got to get really good at negotiating with people on the phone. It's kind of my first real job. And, and so that was my introduction into the insurance 
world. And I became a claims manager there. And I, I was there for several years until I went to college. And I thought, okay, done with insurance. That's in the past. I'm moving on. So I went to college and I got a psychology degree. So I got my MBA in organizational development. I like people better than numbers and I'm better with people than numbers. So it, it made sense. And then I started looking for my first job after that. And I went and interviewed with Farmers Insurance, who was hiring agents at the time. And the lady that was there, who is way smarter than me and has a lot more energy than me, she's still my friend to this day and has been a mentor for me for years, Monica Gujral. And she was looking for new agents. And, and I said, I, I just finished college. I've got all this debt, got little kids. I said, I don't think I can start my own business because I don't know that I'm in the space for it. And I think I need something that's steady right away. And I got really lucky because she happened to be leaving that job. And so she said, well, I'm leaving this gig to go become a district manager. And there's a reserve district manager open. And if you want to interview with the owner of the district, you can interview for it and see if you'd be good. So I did. And I got really lucky. I got the gig and I was for there for five or six years. And I trained agents and brokers how to start their own businesses and do their first set of books and read a P&L and how to market and how to you know cold call and all the good stuff that comes with it. So that was a really great gig also in the insurance industry. Mm, great insight, I would have thought. It was a, a neat set of skills to start off in my career. And then um, in order to stay long-term and become my own district manager, you kind of start your own district and have your own agents under you with farmers. So at the time, financially, I was in no clear shape to do that. And, and I thought starting my own business and moving to a new city might've been a little rough for me as young as I was. And so I went and I applied everywhere, Nick. And you know, this thing, you just kind of spray apply and, and hope something lands. And so um, I got ridiculously lucky um, up on Edwards Air Force Base. Um, NASA has a site. So I went up and they were looking for operations management there, emergency services division for their police, the fire, the security that they had there. So I interviewed for a job there and I've never felt so unequipped in my life or undeserving. And I, I went to the car after the interview. So you had an interview and then you had a test. It was like a computer test. You sat down and it took a couple hours to go through the thing. So I went back out to the car and I called my family and I said, there's absolutely no way I got that job. It was pretty terrible. And so I said, but back to the drawing board. They called me a few days later for a second interview. And then I thought, okay, now they're going to realize I'm completely unqualified. So I'll, I'll go in for the real scrutiny uh, part now when they just pushed the offer letter across the desk and said, you know, you've got the job. And I said, well, I happily accept I need a job. But at the same time, can you tell me how you quantify this? And they said, well, we use a scoring system. You've got the resume, the interview, and then the test. And you had the highest combined score, just very lucky. And I, I was there for over 10 years. After that, I decided to move down to Orange County, be near the ocean and the sunshine and the little bit better weather. So I didn't even intend to go back into insurance. I, I got a job as a vice president of HR for a logistics company for a couple of years. And then I got a really neat job before I went to InZone. And that was a, with a company called BBSI. And what you do there is BBSI takes care of the workers' comp and the payroll for companies and then provide consulting services in the realm of HR, safety, and business best practices. Mm. So I got to, I had 118 clients with a team and every day you're going out and meeting with business owners. And I got to have all kinds of experiences with small business where I got to see the struggles that businesses had and 
really all businesses have the same struggles. So when that happens, Nick, you start to realize that the solutions are going to be the same for a lot of those businesses. So you really kind of get into best practices business. And so I, I did that for a little bit more than four years. And then I got the opportunity uh, to come over to Inzone, which was a company unlike any place I'd ever worked before for a number of reasons. Inzone was started as the preferred and standard lines at the time for cost you less around 2002. And then a couple of guys that were really high up in the company, uh, Norm Hudson and Chris Walters, got the opportunity to buy that line, to buy Inzone and make it its own company. So they did that at the time. And to give you an idea of scale, Inzone last year at this time was about 220 people. As of yesterday, I think we were at 512. And so in a couple of years, we'll be several thousand people. And so they're on a cadence, Nick of purchasing, of acquiring about 50 new agencies a year. And so, as you know, in generationally, and you know, we could talk a lot about generations and how it affects the workplace, but generationally, um, we have a ton of baby boomers that are retiring every day. And a lot of these folks own insurance companies and young people own insurance companies too, or families own insurance companies through the years. But, you know, we've got all these small brokerages, Inzone is buying them, converting them, you know, to Inzone over time. And they give them all the tools to be able to grow their agency. So a lot of the people that were the owners of the agency stay as producers because that's the work that they really loved. They loved it when the business was like, I could be out selling, I was making relationships, I was playing you know, golf with this business owner and we had their business. And it's a neat environment because on the inflection curve of a business, it's really just in that very beginning explosive growth phase. Like last year, we we're 53rd uh, in the insurance journal in America for companies size when we were 220 people. And this year, we'll probably be in the top 30. And so I got brought in to help usher them through the next two to three years of this incredible growth and uh, trying to make all of these individual small businesses feel like one business together. Yeah. So to bring team members together. And so there's a whole bunch of mechanisms that we've put in place to do that because I did a ton of research on the company before I came over. Great culture. Chris and Norm have been here their whole lives. And a lot of these people have worked for them for 10 to 15 years. So it's a really good sign when you have a lot of longevity in a company that they treat the people well, which is something that I demand anywhere that I work. And I, I won't put up with anything else at this point in my career. I'm too old to deal with yeah. nonsense. So I make sure that people are treated correctly. And I wanted to come someplace where they were. Thank you for that, Matt. It's such a great career story it sounds like along the way there were several sliding door moments there where that path could have changed trajectory quite dramatically love to dive a bit more into the business and about the plans for growth and how that's going one of the reasons that we were really interested in talking to you today was that we interview a lot of ceos we interview a lot of founders of businesses and they will talk about going from 220 people to 512 in 12 months, you know, really high growth. And then we move on to the next subject. Really, in this series, we want to take a pause at that moment and say, right, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. How do you make that successful? How do you make sure that you're bringing in the right companies there, that you're integrating them well, then people are not just leaving off the back end and that you have that continued growth. So yeah. really looking forward to discussing this further. So you joined the business 
around six, seven months ago. Yeah, I think it's just about six months now. Great. So in your role there, how are you finding things? And what do you think at the moment is the sort of secret to that success that the business is having? The secret to InZone's success is they use kind of a three-legged stool approach, which is employee culture, carrier relations, and being client-centric. So giving really good customer service and you know just taking care of folks. The way that they do that is InZone is unique in that Norm also started another business in 2014 called Staff Boom. And that business has about 1,500 employees and 350 of them are dedicated to InZone. So the agents can spend all of their time either selling or servicing the clients and taking good care of the client's needs. And then all the, the back office things, certs and all the administrative things could be done by staff boom employees, frees the agents up also to have a decent work-life balance, which is something that a lot of companies are struggling with right now. If you can leave at the end of the day and still have the clients be serviced, it's a great benefit to being an in-zone agent. That being said, one of the things that I identified when I came into InZone is I said, okay, so if we've had 115 acquisitions, that means it's 115 individual small businesses that joined and became part of InZone. Well, how do you connect that? Well, like Chris and the and the C-suite are great guys. They talk to people. They have a VP assigned to territories to manage all the agency needs. But how do you make people feel like they're part of one company then? And so we put a couple of things into place that were really important to do that. And the first one we call Coffee with Chris. But really what it is, is it's a quarterly meeting with all of the employees. So if the employees are coming on, if you think about it, if we're acquiring a new agency every week, in essence, on average, then they've got those touches on a regular basis with the VP and with their agency manager, but they're going to be disconnected for the rest of the company unless we do something. So we put this quarterly meeting in place where we have the whole C-suite get on and we focus on three things. The, the first is, where are we at? Where are we going? And then how are we going to get there as a company? Then we do some employee recognition things. We call out everybody that's that's come on that is a new acquisition and make sure that they feel welcomed. And that cadence of doing that quarterly, I feel is really important for any company. I've been at companies before that do a yearly company meeting, but I think quarterly is really important. If you're not always talking about where the company is at and where it's going, it disconnects people and they don't feel like they're part of something. So that was the first thing that we put in place. The next thing that we put in place, which is also one of the most problematic things in all companies today, is that managers in most companies are not trained in the United States. Let me explain what I mean by that, Nick. So if I give you a, a scenario, a common one that we use is called the widget maker scenario. And that means that if you've got 30 people and they're making whatever widgets, tires, toys, whatever they happen to be producing in a business, at some point, the owner has to stop managing those people and go out and make new sales, new contracts, new business, new relationships. And he can't do that if he's there. So he has to pick a manager to manage the folks. And, and traditionally, the person that they pick is the person that's the best widget maker. They're the best at doing that. But what that person might not have any idea how to do is manage people. And so companies think if you put that person in place, they're, they're just going to be able to go off and do it. And there's most managers kind of flounder. And if they're good people, they can become good managers. And if they're not great people, then a business can really struggle. And a lot of times it's well-intentioned. But if they don't have the skill set of how to communicate, solve conflict, 
how to motivate teams, how to drive results, how to make the business unit feel cohesive. All of those things are really important management skills that have to be trained to managers. So I did a ton of this training at BBSI, and I was really lucky to be in the training and development space there because I got to train hundreds of business owners and business leaders on these best practices. And some of the best practices that we're talking about is every single manager needs to be trained on communication, how to handle conflict, how to motivate teams, et cetera, all these basic skills. So when I came into InZone, I asked for, okay, give me the list of every manager we have on the company. And then I put the list together. I I broke them up to groups. And I said, every single month, we're going to have management training with these people. It turned out to be 78 people that we currently have in the InZone sphere. So I get on monthly. I do trainings with them for about 45 minutes where we talk about best practices. And I I tell the people at the beginning to try to be as humble as possible. I don't know how to do your jobs, guys. We've got some folks that are payroll managers. We've got some folks that are servicing customers. We've got some folks that are running businesses. I say, I am not here to teach you anything today. All I'm going to do is facilitate a workshop in which all of you leaders can get best practices from each other. Because if you can take a couple of things forward and be able to introduce them into the business to affect the employees, it will get better systemically throughout the workplace. And that's one of the things that really affects culture and how people interact, Nick. That's such a great idea. I mean, I love the fact that clearly you've got 78 managers there with varying different levels of experience and expertise. Right. But that opportunity to collaborate and learn what's working well for some challenges other people have that can really just using what you've got there just using the internal assets that you've got rather than paying a lot of money for external trainers to come in and some things that companies can do other than this training and development that are largely free and very important to people nick is employee recognition is also something that's really missing in the business sphere in america Inzone does a good job at it. BBSI, where I came from, did a good job at it. But I talked to a lot of business owners that I consulted on that their businesses don't do anything in this sphere. And if you think about it, every year, every employee has work anniversaries. Every year, people get promoted. Every year, new contracts are won. New states, territories are entered. Outstanding performers um, need to be recognized. Safety awards. These are all free things that companies can do. And not only that, but if if you think about it in the sphere of how companies market themselves and how they brand themselves, if you're not putting this stuff for absolutely free on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, TikTok, YouTube, I guarantee every company has somebody that's good at social media and that would be happy to do this as part of their duties. Just to make posts to recognize things to people that say, hey, you know, Bob Smith has worked here for the last four years. Bob's our new area manager for Southern California or whatever it happens to be. You know, Bob's manages 17 members here. And these small things where you just recognize people and call people out are really important. And if you look at the cadence of communication in companies, I think that's where it's lacking, Nick. And it doesn't need to be long and it doesn't need to be detailed and it doesn't need to be drawn out. But what you have to do is say, okay, we've got at least quarterly meetings for everybody in the company. We've got manager meetings, which are another thing that I think is lacking. And what I mean by that is 
we're in a weird space right now. I think that everywhere in the world is trying to figure out where when you have multiple locations, you have people working hybrid, you have people working from home, you have people working in office. How do you make people cohesive and bring people together? Well, a lot of companies right now are really pushing for back to office for that. But also with people in different locations and different schedules, that doesn't always work. And so you're still going to have Teams and Zooms and Google meetings. So what's the mechanism that you bring those people together? Well, what I'd recommend is a weekly Monday meeting. If you do something as simple as a 10 o'clock meeting on Mondays, for example, and you get people on, you say, how was your weekend, Nick? How was your weekend, Sally? How was your weekend, Bob? Everybody chats for a few minutes. And then you circle it back to, okay, so everybody had tasks last week, right? That we talked about because this is a weekly cadence of a meeting. So you go, Nick, are A, B, and C done? I know you were working on those. And you go, A and B are done, but C, I think I'll have by about close of business Tuesday. Great. What do you have on the agenda for this week? D, E, and F. Okay, great. Are you going to need any help with that? Yeah, Sally, can you help me with the marketing on this? Okay, got it. So you talked about the last week to make sure everything is done. You've taken some time to connect and bond with folks, and you've got the agenda items going forward for the week. That meeting can be done in 15 to 25 minutes, and everybody has marching orders. Everybody knows who needs help, and you can close out the things when the people are talking with, oh, by the way, guys, remember I'm going to have half day Tuesday for daughter's dress recital or whatever it happens to be, or I'm going on vacation next week. But those moments of connection where a manager just lets people know that they care about them and also can call out good things. Hey, Bob, I really appreciate, we had a couple of people out last week that you stayed um, for some extra hours or you picked up this extra work or you helped with this project. That form of employee recognition is missing in so many businesses in America, Nick. And it's so important because people will stay at a workplace where they're treated really well. And most of the time, they're not even, when you talk about employee retention, which is unbelievably expensive for companies, most companies have no idea how much money it costs them when a great employee leaves and walks out the door with their institutional knowledge. And they have to start over and hope somebody else is going to be good and then go through a training period. But if you recognize people, most of the time they won't go look for another job. If you treat them really well, it's when people are treated poorly that then they go to the market and look what's available and, and decide if they want to move on. And yes, the comp and the benefits and everything else and the flexibility needs to be there for all companies to be successful, but people won't usually even go to look unless they're treated poorly in the first place. And that's where I think you have to recognize employees. It's not just about money in the marketplace today. You also have to treat people really well. That's such an excellent point. I think the glue that you talk about, the glue that binds people together is having that regular cadence. And it's something that we talk about a lot, actually, in our business about having that weekly cadence. It keeps everybody on track. You can see if anybody needs any help with anything. And if there are any issues or challenges, you know, you can deal with them on that basis rather than letting them fester or let them go too far down right. the line. I really like the recognition as well. I think a lot of companies... You know, they'll have their end of year rewards. They'll have the end of year bonuses that get dished out. Between that 12 months, there's not a great deal happening in between. It's just those small little wins, those small acknowledgements, the small sort of things that just keep motivating people and giving people a, you know, a great start to the day with acknowledgement and recognition keeps people happy in their jobs. I mean, that's fundamental. It's not just about that bonus at the end of the year that they're working towards, or it's not just that award or recognition that's, you know, at a big fall event. It's those small things that really do matter to people. It is. And, and also, it's an incredibly useful management tool, if you think about it this way, Nick. 
that if you call out good behavior or behavior as a manager that you want repeated in your team, other people will see that that's what's valued at the organization. And if you have a performer that is struggling on your team, what a great time to call out things that they do well, to encourage them that they're still part of the team, that they're still valued, that you still want them there. And it's just a way to make things as cohesive as possible, which is really important in companies today. Obviously, as the business, you know, you're acquiring a lot of brokers and agencies there as an organization. Is that something that could well appeal to target agencies? A producer's running the business, they're managing the team, but like you say, they've probably had no management training. So the opportunity yeah. to have that peer-to-peer and through the leaders there. But also, has that really helped with that integration? Because you're integrating a lot of new people into the business on a quarterly basis. Yeah, it's it's another form of touch point. If you're going to bring on a new agency essentially every week, you want at minimum, you want everybody to feel involved. And you can do that to an extent through the quarterly meeting and the extent through the managers and the VPs. But you also want all of the leadership to be cohesive, thinking the same way. And if, if you're constantly training people to be able to deal with others in a better way and to treat them really well and to recognize them and how to deal with employee problems, then you know, you really get a great sense of all of the leadership being on the same page and moving the same direction, which is really important. Absolutely crucial. Matt, brings us nicely onto the espresso round now with the sure. short, sharp and, and to the point. The espresso round. What would be your one piece of advice for someone coming in to interview there at Endzone? When you see particularly leaders coming in, what would be your one piece of advice to them? To be yourself and to be transparent with your strengths and weaknesses. I think that one of the the most ridiculous things, and you know this from being in the recruitment sphere, is when you interview somebody and you go, what are you really great at? And what are you terrible at? Or what do you not like to do anymore? I'll give you an example. I'll throw myself on the sword. Yeah. So if you do this with somebody and, and they say, well, Matt, what are you great at in HR? I love training and development. I love culture. I love organizational development. But if you need me to sit and do spreadsheets all day, you'd be better off hiring a monkey because you'll have more success with him and you'll be happier with the result. So um, math was never my strong point. But the point is, is it's okay to say that. It's okay to, to see what your strengths are and to lean into them. And if somebody you know tries to say, well, I just work too hard, that always kind of rubs me the wrong way because I want somebody to be real and I want somebody just to be a really nice person as well, Nick. We have a hiring policy. So a really bad failing that a lot of companies have right now is to hire people that are high performers that are not personable whatsoever, or have had trouble in that realm, it's a huge mistake. It will cost you great people leaving the organization to get away from high performers that don't treat people well. Thank you, man. That's great advice. What would you say is a really important aspect to you when selecting an external recruitment partner? In selecting an external recruitment partner, I want them to understand that we're going to go at a speed that allows us to get the right fit. It doesn't need to be rushed because being rushed means that you possibly select the wrong person. And then there's a whole other thing to get that person out and get somebody new in and recruit them. And it's a great deal of time wasted. So the right cadence is important. And also somebody that understands, Nick, that I would much rather hire for attitude and for willingness to learn than for skills. Yes, you need some of the skills to be there, especially when you get to higher levels. Do you have a person that wants to grow, that wants to learn, that wants to do new things in organizations and has a great attitude? 
that's so much more valuable. And and we've all worked with people, let's be honest, that had the yeah. wrong kind of experience. So that's not where you want to go either. Final question, the espresso round. Are there any tools or technology at all that you're using there that's been really helpful, either when you've been onboarding these acquisitions or bringing in fresh talent? The most useful tool that we have is that anytime that we're going to bring on a new acquisition is that we go out there. We still, despite the virtual world, one of us in leadership still gets on a flight, goes out there and and greets the people and gets FaceTime and lets them know that they're welcome to the team and that we're going to be here to make sure that no matter what they need, that they're going to be successful. Matt, that is a great note to finish on. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real blast. Time has certainly flown by. If there's people now, and I'm sure there's people listening who are interested in zone, interested in opportunities they have there, what's the best way of reaching out to you? So if you want to check us out on our website, Inzone Insurance, that's a great way to hit us. We've also got a LinkedIn that we're very active on, that we're always posting about um, new agencies and acquisitions and people's accomplishments. Uh, that's a great way to reach us as well. Get a hold of us you know, through the website. We'll reach out. And if anybody is looking for a career in which they can grow, Inzone is a great company to come into because with opportunity to go from 220 to 500 to 2000, 2,500 in a couple of years, there's going to be all kinds of managerial, supervisor, leadership openings and responsibilities. And so we really want people that are looking for their next long-term career. Well, we'll post all those details on the website so people can click straight through or directly from the podcast. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Really interesting to hear how you're building this rocket ship of a business. A lot of great opportunities, and it'd be great to welcome you back in the future to see how things are going. Thank you so much for your time, Nick. This was great. And for first podcast, it couldn't have been a better experience. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.